Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning, and if you want to take your Bibles, you can turn there, and I'll meet you there in just a moment. But if you'd allow me just a couple of minutes, I want to take just a couple of minutes to set up the stage for our time together this morning. It was March 6th, 2023, a normal day for me. It was a day off, and I was in my backyard with my matcha, my journal, and my Bible. My plan for my time in God's Word that morning was to continue reading through the Gospel of Matthew as I had been doing for the weeks leading up to that day, and that day's reading was Matthew 26, and God was ready to meet me there. Now, before I continue, we need to rewind to 2020. Around February of that year, my wife, Christine, began to voice that something felt off in her body. Something just wasn't right. She couldn't really put a finger on it. She couldn't articulate it clearly, but something wasn't right. And so she scheduled a physical. They ran some tests, and the doctor said, everything's fine. And they sent her on her way. But Christine insisted, there's something not quite right. So over the course of the next couple of months, that feeling of just feeling off eventually morphed and began to manifest itself in ways that were visible and physical. She began to experience swelling in her joints and she would eventually lose some function in her hands and ultimately would result in days with debilitating pain Mornings when she couldn't hardly get out of bed because of the pain in her legs. After a couple of days of this, we decided to take a trip to the emergency room. And after some tests, the doctor concluded once again that Christine was, in fact, fine. And he sent her off recommending some pain reliever and Tums. Being the loving husband that I am, I was sure to continue to inform Christine over the following weeks that she was in fact fine because everything is going to be fine. Everything is fine because the doctor said so. Have you ever been there? Right in the middle of your pain, feeling like nobody quite understands where you're at and what you're going through? Christine would eventually go to see another doctor who would do a more thorough investigation, more tests, more blood panels, more doctor's visits, and ongoing pain. Finally, Christine and I received a call from her doctor's office asking if we could come and meet with her doctor to discuss her most recent panel of tests. So a few days later, Christine and I found ourselves at the doctor's office, and as many of you know, and from this time Till now, you've walked with us through this, and we're so grateful. But that day, Christine was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, an illness with no known cause and no known cure. In short, what this meant for Christine was that her every day would be a day of pain. 
It would be chronic pain, chronic discomfort. That would be her life from that point forward, and that's that. I remember when she heard the news that day in the doctor's office, she squeezed my hand. And in that moment, in the moments following, she began to think through all of the implications of this diagnosis. All the ways her life would need to change, all the ways her life would be different than she had dreamed it would be. You add a global pandemic, a shortage of toilet paper, and the death of two family members to this already challenging year. And 2020 ended up being probably the most difficult year for our family. Christine and I responded very differently to the sorrows that 2020 held for us. She grieved. And I did what I had always done. Psychologist John Wellwood is known for coining the term spiritual bypass. It's this idea of of using spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business. And while this can present itself in many different ways, for me, it looked like an empty optimism. See, I've spent most of my life with this defensive mechanism, whether in response to childhood trauma, stressful seasons of life, or, immune, or, or my wife being uh, diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. My response was pretty much always the same. Bypass it. So I would find myself saying things like, everything's fine, because God is good. Everything's going to be fine. Because God is good. Because for me, it was always, it seemed easier to leverage my theology, God is good, to suppress the pain. Rather than live in the tension between everything is not okay and God is still good. Do you see the difference? So there I am, March 6th, 2023, And by this point, all of the hurts and wounds that I had bypassed for so long had finally caught up to me. And there I sat with my Bible open to Matthew 26. And God was ready to meet me there. And he knew that he was getting ready to meet with a man who was hurting. He knew that he was getting ready to meet with a man who needed a new way to respond to sorrow. And so I began reading, and we'll pick it up right here in verse number 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but 
the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I read these words that morning, and the Spirit of God was so kind to me. As he used these words as a salve to my wounded soul. You see, the, the, the years leading up to this moment were, were like what John Mark Comer calls a mini Gethsemane. See, in no way am I meaning to imply that our sorrow that we go through on, on, uh, in this life is even remotely close to that of Jesus here in Matthew 26. But it was sorrow nonetheless. And what the Spirit of God was whispering to me is that Jesus gets me. That he's experienced sorrow. That there's nothing that I am, am walking through or have walked through that he himself has not sustained. That he himself has not walked through. And so the Holy Spirit was just whispering, Joel, God gets you. Jesus gets you. But the Spirit was also whispering to me, hey, there's a better way to respond than the way you've been responding. Perhaps in your workplace or growing up in school, you did fire drills or have done fire drills. And fire drills are good. They're important. And the reason they're important is because it's good for us to know how to respond when a building catches fire. When a building catches fire, how you respond, how I respond, matters. How you respond can either help the situation or it can make the situation worse. And you see, mankind wasn't created with the capacity for sorrow. Sorrow wasn't a part of God's creation. Sorrow is only part of our world, world because sin entered into the world. And so now you and I live in a broken world, in broken bodies, and sorrow is the result of those two realities. And so over the course of human history, mankind has attempted to come up with solutions, ways to respond to sorrow, ways to mitigate sorrow, ways to manage sorrow in our lives. And so some try to suppress the pain. Some try to drink or smoke or snort it away. Some try to pretend it doesn't really hurt that bad. Some run and hide in isolation. Some just get angry or some just deny the pain is real or some spiritually bypass it. And while there are so many ways that we could respond to sorrow to our, and respond to our own mini Gethsemanes, the big idea over the top of this text is this. Jesus shows us how to respond to sorrow. Jesus shows us a better way, a good way, a healthy way, the right way to respond to sorrow. So this morning, as we dive into this text, we're going to look at three healthy responses to sorrow, or three Christ-like responses to our own many Gethsemanes. It'll look like this. I respond to sorrow like Jesus when I, 
Number one, walk with others. When I walk with others, look in verse number 36. Then Jesus went with them. You can underline those words. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. The Garden of Gethsemane is a garden of, of olive trees located on the Mount of Olives. And for us, if you've spent time in church for any length of time, then the Garden of Gethsemane likely to you, when you think of it, you think of this text, which means you associate the Garden of Gethsemane with sorrow. But you see, the Garden of Gethsemane wasn't always a landmark of sorrow. In fact, in the Gospel of John in chapter number 18, the Gospel writer mentions that this place was actually a place that Jesus and his disciples visited often. This was kind of their go-to hangout spot. I imagine Peter, James, and John getting into some arguments there. I imagine Jesus telling some stories or some jokes. I imagine them taking some reprieve after a long day of ministry. This was a place that they went to often. And yet this trip to the garden would be different. Jesus knew that he was moments away from being crucified, and as that reality was setting in, Jesus began to process the emotions and the feelings that accompany that reality. And so, yes, this trip to the garden would be much different, and yet it wouldn't be entirely different. Because like every trip to the garden before this, Jesus would choose to do what he had always done, take others with him. He would choose to not go alone. Now, you and I likely all like the sound of walking with others through our sorrow. It sounds nice. For you Lord of the Rings fans out there, we are all looking for someone to be the Samwise Gamgee to our Frodo Baggins. That friend who will walk with us through thick and thin. The friend who will sacrifice the friend who will extend grace to us, the friend who will just be there for us when we need him to be there. But walking with others through sorrow doesn't happen on accident. Having your Samwise Gamgee doesn't just happen on accident. If we are going to walk with others through our sorrow, we must invite others in. Do you see in verse number 7, it says, and taking with him. There's this intentional invitation to Peter, James, and John to be involved in this moment of Jesus' life. Jesus brought them with him. And I'm afraid that some of you, some of us, walk alone through our sorrows simply because we've never invited anyone else in. Now, this might sound a little scary to some of my introvert friends, and I get it. Tell somebody about my personal life. Open up. Invite them in. But rest assured, Jesus did not invite everyone in. But I can't emphasize this enough. It doesn't matter who you are, introvert or extrovert. 
It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you're feeling right now. And it doesn't matter how hard this may be. It is imperative that as we walk through our own mini Gethsemanes, that we do not walk alone. But if we're not going to walk alone, we have to invite others in. It might be a Christian brother or sister. It might be a friend. It might be a pastor, a life group leader, a counselor, or a therapist. I don't know your story. And so I don't know who it is that you need to invite into your sorrow. But if we're going to walk with others, we must invite others in, but also we must be open with others. Would you look in verse number 38? Verse 38 says, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus here makes two things very clear to Peter, James, and John. What he was feeling and what he was needing. I like to picture, imagine that if Jesus were on earth today that he'd attend City Point Church and that if he was attending City Point Church he would join a City Point Life group that launches this week. Shameless plug. But if he were to join us in a life group and he was sitting around your living room, and we began to go around the room and share different prayer requests. We might get over here to Dave, and Dave says, oh, pray for my grandma, and okay, we'll pray for Dave's grandma, and we get over here to Naomi, and Naomi says, well, pray for my family, this is going on. We might get over here to Sally, and Sally says, well, pray for my dog, and then we get to Jesus, and Jesus says, I have an unspoken. I don't think so. See, I don't think Jesus was one for unspoken prayer requests. And I'm afraid that sometimes what we do is we hide. We want the benefits of community without being vulnerable. Jesus here shows us how to be vulnerable. He shows us that this is part of the proper response to our sorrow. As we walk with others, we we can't hide behind I have it unspoken. I, I want you to support me right now, but I'm not going to tell you how I'm actually doing. There's a certain vulnerability that we must have if we're going to walk with others through sorrow, and Jesus demonstrates that for us. So we have to invite others in and then be open with them, but then we better be ready to extend grace to others. In verses 40 and 43, Jesus comes and finds that those he invited in, Peter, James, and John, they fell asleep. Now, I don't think there's anything in this text to indicate that Jesus got angry or frustrated with Peter, James, and John. But I know I would be. Like, guys, I'm going through immense anguish. I told you exactly what I need from you. Remain here and watch with me. That word watch means stay awake. Just be awake. Be alert. Be present with me in this moment. And you fell asleep. Have you ever been there before? Like maybe the reason you won't invite others into your current sorrow is because the last time you tried it, you got hurt. The last time that you were vulnerable and you invited others into your sorrow, they said something that 
maybe they shouldn't have said or they responded in a way that was different than you had hoped. Maybe you clearly articulated just like Jesus did. Here's what I need from you, friend. And they failed to meet your expectations. The truth is you and I will never find somebody to invite into our sorrow who will be able to enter into that sorrow and walk with us perfectly. And so if we are going to walk with others through our sorrow, then it's imperative that we extend grace to others. When I was in elementary school, if we went on a field trip, my teachers always required at least one thing, the buddy system. Webster defines the buddy system as an arrangement in which two individuals are paired for mutual safety in a hazardous situation. And so my question for you, church family, is in your sorrow, who's your buddy? Who are you, who's walking with you through the hazardous sorrows and many Gethsemanes of your life? And my challenge to us as a church family would be to find a buddy and be a buddy. Go out there in your sorrow, invite others in, but also be ready for the invitation to enter into somebody else's sorrow. I respond to sorrow like Jesus when I walk with others, but then notice with me secondly, I respond to sorrow like Jesus when I come to the Father. Look in verse number 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now we need to understand the context of what's going on here. In verses 30 through 35, Jesus has a discussion with Peter. And he foretells of Peter's denying of Christ. And of course, Peter, he won't accept that. Deny you, Jesus. I won't deny you. And yet we know, because we know how the story continues, that this would be, in fact, what would happen in Peter's life. And so when Jesus comes and finds Peter sleeping, he calls Peter to respond to his own situation, this temptation that's going to be coming his way, to respond to that situation the same way Jesus himself is responding to his own situation. Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, it's not time to sleep it's time to pray. I know your spirit is willing, your, your motives are right, your intention is good, but your flesh is weak. And you will need strength beyond what you have in order to say no to the temptation that is coming. So stop sleeping and start praying. This was an invitation to Peter to respond like Jesus. Jesus' response here was... As we look throughout scripture, we see this process called lament. In Mark Rogop's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he notes the four parts to lament. 
And they are as follows. Turn to God, bring your complaint, ask boldly, and choose to trust. And when you look at Jesus' interaction with the Father, all four of these parts are present. First, he turns to the Father. We see this in the words, my Father. You see, he did not allow his sorrow to push him away from his Father. Instead, he came to his Father with the sorrow. Now, for you and me to do that is an act of faith. During the trials of our lives, it's so easy to give God the silent treatment. But to turn to him in prayerful lament is to believe that he is still good enough to listen and to care and to walk with us through our pain. To turn to the Father is a holy rebellion against the lies of the enemy when he whispers, your God is not here. And I acknowledge that this might be the hardest part for some in the room. Turn to the Father? Well, see, walking, walking with others is easy. We've invited others in to our sorrow. Other people are aware. And yet God gets the cold shoulder. God gets the silent treatment. But Jesus shows us as he laments, as he brings his sorrow to the Father, he turns to the Father, not away from the Father, but then he brings his complaint. Jesus speaks of this cup. Now, the cup that Jesus is referring to is the suffering he knows he's about to endure. And it's a bitter drink. Jesus didn't feel that he had to shy away from voicing that he finds this cup, this drink, distasteful. He knows that this is the drink, the cup that the Father has for him. And yet he never once felt like he couldn't be open and honest and raw with the Father. Father, if there's any other way, I don't want this cup. If it be possible, let it pass. He brings his complaint. See, lament isn't an invitation to be angry with God, but it is an invitation to be honest with God. It's an invitation to talk to God about the perceived incompatibility between who you know him to be and the pain you're experiencing. Like, God, I know you're good, but this doesn't feel good. I know you're loving, but the fact that you're allowing this to remain in my life doesn't feel very loving. I'm afraid that we as Christians can sometimes become expert prayer polishers. Like we only give God the rated G version of our prayers. We only give God the cleaned up prayers. We wouldn't dare complain to him. He's God. But God is not bothered by your complaints. And God doesn't turn away at the sound of your hard questions that you bring to him. So he turns to the Father and brings his complaint. And then he asks boldly, he says, let this cup pass from me. Jesus asks for deliverance from this suffering. And he doesn't just do it once. He doesn't just do it twice. But three times in one evening, he prays this prayer, let this cup pass. God, would you let this cup pass? 
Some of you who remain in your mini Gethsemane and have for some time, you probably can relate to Jesus here. You haven't just prayed once. You haven't just prayed twice. You've prayed more than three times probably. Maybe you're, you're going on a thousand. Maybe it's been years of praying the same prayer request. But Jesus' prayer here is both persistent and repetitious, and that is all the permission that we need to continually and boldly ask God to let this cup pass. And just when you feel like giving up on praying because you've prayed enough, God's already aware of the situation. He already knows what you're asking for. Why keep praying? We keep praying because when in the midst of sorrow, to ask for help is to dare to hope. To ask for help is to dare to hope. It's to believe that God is not done writing your story. This is such an expression of faith. We stop praying when we feel like God is done working. And so to continue asking is to say, God, I believe that you have more that you want to do in my life. I don't believe that this is what you have for me. I believe you want to glorify yourself through my life in some way. I'm not done asking because you're not done working. So Jesus asks boldly, and then he chooses to trust. And we see this really wrapped up in one word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours. See, lament is full of complaints, and asking God for deliverance from the painful events of our lives. But lament is incomplete unless we come to this point of trust and surrender. Lament always leads to trust. Right there in the middle of our sorrow, we've not bypassed the sorrow, we've not bypassed the pain, we've not suppressed it, we've looked it straight in the eye and we've said, I don't like this. God, would you work here? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I trust you, God. I trust you. In many ways, learning to lament is like learning a new prayer language. Mark Rogop says, lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty, but live in a world with tragedy. And while this was a language that Old Testament saints and the early church were fluent in, I'm afraid that lament is mostly a dead language in the church today. And so as a church, as City Point Church, we must become fluent in this language once again as the early church was. Why? Because this is the way that faith deepens, hope increases, worship abounds, and intimacy with the Father thrives when going through our own mini Gethsemanes. As with learning any new language, one of the best ways to learn is to listen and repeat. Listen and repeat. And so luckily for us, the Bible is filled with laments which you and I can echo. And so when you find yourself in the middle of sorrow and wanting to cry out to God but don't have the words, you want to lament but you just don't know what to say, just go to the Psalms. Just go to the story of Job. Go to the book of the Bible called Lamentations. 
and just echo the laments of the people of God who came before you. And in case you're afraid that that's cheating, keep in mind that that's exactly what Jesus would do on the cross. When hanging on the cross, he would echo Psalm 22 when he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No words of his own. Simply echoing the prayer of the psalmist because that's all he had. And so in the spirit of learning, to lament. I want to read over you Psalm 13, and I want you to see if you can catch these four parts of lament. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Lament is an invitation to come to the Father and to be open and honest about what it is that you're going through. So we respond to sorrow like Jesus when we walk with others and then when we come to the Father, but then thirdly and lastly, we respond to sorrow like Jesus when we endure with confidence. From Jesus' time in Gethsemane forward, his situation would actually get worse and worse. At this point in the story, Judas has betrayed Jesus and has led the mob who would, take, who would come to arrest Jesus and take him away. And then we pick things up in verse number 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Anybody want to take a guess who that was? Peter. Now listen, I get Peter. But isn't it interesting that the person who spent no time in prayer is the person who was quickest to try to take control of the situation? Continues on in verse number 52. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword away, back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? You know, I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, and perhaps we find ourselves asking quite often, is what do you do when you get off your knees after praying for the third or 300th time and your situation hasn't changed? What do you do when after much prayer, not only has your situation not gotten better, but it's gotten worse? 
What do you do when God, the only person who could actually change your situation, seems silent, distant, absent, or indifferent? I'll tell you what I would do. I'd probably be like Peter. Peter demonstrated a craving for control. But Jesus offers another way to respond when he demonstrates a calm confidence. A calm confidence in the Father's character. Don't miss this in verse number 53. Look at the words of Jesus. He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. This is mind-blowing to me. Jesus has spent the entire evening appealing to his father and got no response. It would not have been unusual for the father to respond. There were other times throughout Jesus' ministry when God broke open the clouds and spoke to his son. And in Jesus' garden of Gethsemane, in his moment of sorrow, no response And yet, even in the silence, Jesus refused to believe that his father was absent or apathetic or powerless to help. Do you see the confidence that he had in his father? The confidence that says, listen, I've prayed and I know I've gotten no response, but I could still pray. There was no question as to whether or not his father would hear him. No question as to whether his father would listen. There was no question as to whether his father was powerful enough to act and intervene in this moment of his life. There was no question. In Pete Gregg's book, God on Mute, he writes, when we are scared and hurting, when life feels chaotic and out of control, it is more important than ever to anchor ourselves in the absolute and eternal truth that we are dearly loved and deeply held by the most powerful being in the universe. Let this be the great non-negotiable in our lives, the platform for all our other thoughts, and the plumb line for our prayers. You see, for most of us, when God seems silent, it makes us go silent. It makes us doubt whether God cares or whether he's listening. It causes us to question whether he truly loves us. But Jesus maintained a calm confidence in the character of his father. But also a calm confidence in, in the father's purposes. Look in verse number 54. Jesus says, but how then? How then? If I ask my father to intervene, how then? Should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so. The prophets of the Old Testament had foretold of a Messiah who would come and be a triumphant king. And that Messiah is Jesus. But Jesus understood that tragedy would be the pathway to his triumph. Jesus' situation would actually get worse and worse, ultimately resulting in him being killed and buried. But all of this was merely a prelude to his greatest triumph of all. It would actually be through the sorrow and suffering of Jesus and his ultimate resurrection that God would bring redemption to the world just as God promised he would. And so now, now, because Jesus suffered for hope, you and I can suffer with hope. 
because of the eternal life that we have in Christ, one day we will have no need for a lament Sunday. One day there will be no need for blue light sticks. One day, what we practice here on this earth as we learn to lament, one day, lament won't be in the repertoire of our songs. One day, lament will be no more because sorrow will be no more. We have hope. As we walk through our own mini Gethsemanes, we have hope because of Jesus. But then that begs the question, What about right now? What about right here, right now, in this life, in this broken world, in my broken body? What do I do right now? Well, let me illustrate it this way. You guys know what this is? If you were up here looking at it closely, you would be able to see through the bag, you'd be able to see a rock, piece of duct tape, a pipe cleaner, and a leaf. Most of us would look at this and say, that's garbage. Joel, you, you are using garbage for a sermon illustration. Yeah, you and I see garbage, and yet one of the things that I just absolutely love about my oldest daughter, Cherish, is that when she looks at this, she sees a turtle. This is what she does all the time at our house. She finds that piece of cardboard that's just laying around. She finds that piece of uh, toilet paper roll that we discarded. And she's like, I've got a purpose for that thing. And so we see this and we go, that's garbage. And she looks at it and she says, no, no, that's a turtle. And I just love, I love how reminiscent that is of our God. God is the great recycler of broken things. See, you and I look at our lives and all we see is our mini Gethsemane. All we see is our broken pieces. All we see is our childhood trauma. All we see is our losses. All we see is our wounded places in our souls. And yet when he looks at us, he sees so much more. He takes broken things and he makes them beautiful again. As we like to sing around here, he turns graves into gardens. Romans 8, 28, you know the verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now please don't misunderstand me. I am not trying to imply that if you just endure long enough, that all of your problems will just go away. See, sometimes... Oftentimes, God's good purposes in our sorrow look different than the thing we're praying for. Sometimes the greatest thing God can do for you and me is answer our prayer. Heal, deliver, restore. But sometimes the greatest thing he can do is use the lingering pain to draw us nearer to him. St. Augustine once said that God puts salt on our lips that we may thirst for him. Sometimes it's the salt of our tears. In our seasons of sorrow, 
in our seasons of sorrow, we can endure with confidence because God's character is unchanging. And in our many Gethsemanes, he's near, he's present, he's holding us, he's listening, he's powerful enough to change the situation, but he always, 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 always has good purposes. And we can take it to the bank that when all is said and done, God will be glorified. God will be glorified and his purposes will come to pass. Christine and I have learned much about how to respond to sorrow over the years, specifically these last few years. And believe me when I say that we have been far from perfect in our responses. If I'm being honest, sometimes we have found it difficult to let others in. And sometimes we've found it challenging to not give God the silent treatment. But today we are enduring with confidence. That's not an empty optimism. Not everything is okay. Maybe one day God will answer our prayer. Maybe he won't. He is certainly capable and we believe, believe that. But for now, we endure with confidence. For now, we choose to trust. Why? Because that's how Jesus responded to sorrow. And how we respond matters. Typically, we have at the close of our time in God's word, we have a learning to live segment. And this morning is going to be a little bit different. This morning we will learn to lament. And as we learn to lament, I want to offer two responses as you consider how to respond to God's word this morning. Number one, let others in on your sorrows. Let others in on your sorrows. Find a buddy, be a buddy. Maybe this morning you need to find that brother or sister. You need to find that friend. You need to find that pastor. You need to find that life group leader. And you just need to say, I need help. I need someone to walk with me. There's something that I've been going through that nobody knows about. I've not let anybody in, but I'm, I'm done hiding. Maybe this morning you're feeling the sorrow of your own sinfulness. You have questions about how Jesus' suffering is the answer to your own brokenness. There's no better time to let others in than right now. And so in just a moment, we'll have our prayer team down front, and I would encourage you if you have questions about what it means to experience healing, not physical healing, but spiritual healing, soul healing, let it, letting Jesus come in and be your Savior. If you have questions about that, our prayer team will be ready to answer any questions that you might have. As you consider how to let others in, we've compiled a list of resources for you. Maybe you just need to let in some other voices to help to influence you. Maybe you want to learn more about lament. And so we have some book recommendations and also some recommended counseling. We information about our coming, our City Point Grief Share that's coming up in about a week and a half. And so what I'd invite you to do is text LAMENT 
to 97000. And when you do that, you will receive that list of resources right there to your phone with links so that you have all the information that you need in order to welcome other voices in to your sorrow. So you can text that number, text lament to 97000 and get those resources. We also have a couple of books for sale in the lobby at cost to help you as you navigate your mini Gethsemane. The second encouragement, the second way that I would encourage you to respond this morning as we learn to lament is to let God have your sorrows. Let God have your sorrows. A few moments ago, you held a light stick in your hand and that light stick represented a specific lament or sorrow that you have gone through or are going through in your life. And I'm going to ask you right now to find that light stick. Take it out and hold it in your hand. We're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. But grab that light stick, hold it in your hand. That light stick for you, if that represents a specific lament or sorrow, if you held that up at any point during the service today, what I'd like to ask you to do is, I'd like to, I'd like to invite you to come to this altar in just a moment. To come and lament. To turn to the Father. To bring your complaint with you. To boldly ask once again for God to move. And then to choose to trust. And so when you come forward, you can take all the time that you need. But when you're done, I want you to leave that light stick at the altar, to leave it on the stairs as a way of telling God, God, I trust you with this. I choose trust this morning. And so we're not going to have any music right now. We're going to let the laments of God's people be the sound of worship that fills this space. And so I'd invite you into this moment as we bring our laments before our God. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church... Go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.